All aboard the gravy train! Are you riding your financial planner or broker's gravy train? Your financial prospectus outlines how brokers are allowed to charge you hidden fees. Next stop, hidden fees! Want to take back control of your retirement income? Just get off at the next stop. And tune in to the Total Financial Hour with host Arif Halaby, Sundays at 11 a.m. Learn about your financial power on the Total Financial Hour, Sundays at 11 a.m. on AM870, The Answer. The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy. Strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now, higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial. Hey, welcome to the show. Good morning, Total Financial Hour. Town Hall's coming up right after, uh, I think right after my show, right? So stay tuned for that as well. Hey, folks, we're talking about your family's finances. I'm Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, your place for news, talk, and information. When I say hour, it's two hours. It's just kind of exciting because the second hour is your emails, solving problems. Sometimes I have interview uh, interviews with guests, uh, sometimes some pretty interesting guests. Uh, and I have a special that I'm working on. I have a gentleman that I am working on bringing onto the show and also a lady. I'm going to leave it at that, kind of tease you a little bit. I'm hopeful in the next few weeks to be able to get them on the air, tell you about what's going on in their world. I think how to solve some of your problems too, financially speaking. Uh, I want to touch base on a couple of issues though, as we move forward to the first hour of the program. And this is kind of important. The amount of of educators that have been arrested, charged, some convicted for having sex, uh, accused of getting pregnant with a 13-year-old. Here's one lady, an English uh, English teacher uh, that she met at school, a soccer coach uh, from high school, faces charges after investigators say he had sex with a 17-year-old player. Uh, how about a lady... Police say uh, Kelly Aldendiger, oh gosh, Aldinger, probably Aldinger, parked inside a car at a cemetery with a 17-year-old boy. She's accused of having a relationship with him, and I can go on and on. Can you explain to me how these educators feel powerful enough? They're not afraid, right? Now, you might say, well, Eric, you, t- you talk about cameras in the classroom. Let's be clear on this. I want cameras in the classroom not just for uh, the avoidance of special attention, we can use that euphemism, given to a child or a young child or a student, but also the curriculum, the the way in which they're being taught, the discipline. And look, you can look at it from the other direction. I want cameras in the classroom because I think the teachers need to be protected. Right? How many times does a teacher tell somebody to sit down, uh, put that away, 
put your phone down, close your computers, I'm talking, look up here, etc. And the student will either, well, at the very least, be a smart mouth and, and be sent to the principal's office, but you can't do that anymore, especially if they're a minority. Did you know that? How many schools are not allowing you to send a child to the dean's office if they're a minority? doesn't matter their disruption. Who cares? Forget about the content of their character. We care about the color of their skin, says your left-wing progressives. When is that going to change? Hmm? Maybe. Maybe never. But I think cameras need to be in the classroom to protect the educators, don't you? How many of them have have been beat up in the hallway or uh, punched, thrown? Th- I mean, this is ridiculous. So you can look at it both ways. Cameras in the classroom, I'd like two of them. One in the front facing, one in the back facing. And maybe even one on the educator's desk. Parent can log in. There's a code, whatever, six layers of encryption. I'm not the technical genius. Somebody can figure that out. We do that with our our health charts, don't we? With our health regulate uh, our healthcare documents and and our records, financial records. What you honestly think that there's a way to be able to be very clear and concise and safe when it comes to the educators, the teachers. We can see what device logs in for how long, who's listening, who's watching. I mean, this is not a difficult thing. You have cameras, don't you, in police cars? You have cameras on body cams on police officers. So why not? You have cameras everywhere. I'm not a proponent but uh, of more cameras, but hasn't the, the, the horse left the barn? Isn't it over? Right? There's nothing you can do about it. it it's, now it's time to do it properly protect our kids from being indoctrinated. I think that's a great thing to put on the next ballot measure, but that's that's beside the point. I think you guys have to fight for this. All right, I'm going to continue, but let me give you this. Uh, financially speaking, imagine if you were to be a parent or a grandparent who speaks out on something like this, and you're at the city council meeting, you're at the school board meeting, and instead of your employer finding out, and they do, right, when they come out and they say, oh, that was you know, Mary Jones and she works at this particular company. Let's, let's cancel her. I think, listen, if she has that opinion, we need to take away her paycheck. Wouldn't it be nice that you don't have to do that? Wouldn't that be nice if you actually had your own source of wealth, your own source of income, that you could actually stand up for something and not be canceled, not be criticized where you are forced to take your family and go into hiding and, and lose your possessions? Michael, Finn, uh, Michael Flynn, Mr. Papadopoulos, uh, is, there, is there not others who have lost because they stood up for something they believed in, that, that they've lost their financial well, well-being? I, I think there's a lot of people out there. It's kind of nice to avoid that, isn't it? Isn't it nice to be that person who, who goes out there and stands up for what's right? And it doesn't really matter if you watch CNBC or, or Fox Business. They all seem to slant to the left. Maybe, maybe in the course of Fox Business, there's a couple of shows, Maria Bartiroma, that, that is center-right. But really, you end up with the far left. Oh, why is it the, the Republicans are doing this and, and the government shutdown, which is all a bunch of hogwash, just so you know. There's still 90%, 95% of the revenue that comes in. They can pay 90%, 95% of their bills. 
And yes, oh, it was averted as if it was this asteroid coming to Earth. Surprise, you're going to have to pay your bills again in six years and eight months from now. Start planning, right? This isn't a surprise. It's like some of you, you go, hey, you know, listen, I, I, it, I just had an emergency come up. I'm like, what? They said property taxes. I'm like, you understand property taxes, car insurance, your cell phone bill. Those things are happening every month. We know they're coming. It's coming right around the corner. It's just coming up next. You know it. Well, the, the, uh, the congressional and, and presidential candidates over the years and, and both political parties, they understand that they have to create a bill to pay their bills, right? They have to create law. It's not that hard, but dollars are coming in anyway. Every time you work, they take money from your paycheck. You know that. So it isn't as if the government just shuts down and they stop taking money from your paycheck. Just some employees stop getting paid. But understand this. Whenever it's resolved, they all got paid back anyway. They just had a vacation. Right? I mean, air traffic controllers, all oh, planes will fall out of the sky. Excuse me, no. They will still work and they still get paid. It isn't a secret that you have to pay your bills. The problem is this. They are not allowed to borrow money. Oh. They're not allowed to continue to put the country in debt. Now, listen, I, I'm telling you this because it's all over anyway. They solved that in the last 24 hours. So, okay, the bill is passed. And you have five or six people Kevin McCarthy doesn't like. Uh, listen, I like Kevin. I've met him many times. I think he's a nice guy. I think he's smart. He's a good politician. I think he understands Washington probably better than he understands Bakersfield, where he's from, because he's just been there for so long. And maybe that's what you want. I don't know. But I do know that when you take a look at the big picture, let's step back maybe five steps. You had Nancy Pelosi from where? San Francisco. Chuck Schumer from where? New York. Wait, wait. Uh, President Biden from Connecticut. Who Who's representing the American people? Like from Ohio and Texas and Utah and Kentucky. Oh, wait. A guy who poor, poor guy. I feel bad for him. Shame on his family for having Mitch McConnell continue to stand up there and look like a fool. This stuff is forever. It's forever. It's on tape. It's on video. It's on digital bits and bytes. It's never going away. They're going to show him up there looking like a fool, just like Dianne Feinstein, rest her soul. Right? Where did she come from? Oh, California. Kamala Harris, California. Listen, I'm very angry that the progressives have shoved out my family, my kids who had to move to other states just to survive, just to have a future, to think that they have a chance at, at the American dream, that it isn't on the coast. That's why I think there's turmoil brewing. California is losing 1,000, 1,500, sometimes 2,000 people per day, Monday through Sunday, per day leave the state of California. Ask U-Haul or drive you rent or just you rent or whatever the, the, the vehicles are that leave California. Say, hey, I want to drive from, Cali from Los Angeles to Phoenix. They'll say, oh, $1,200. Oh, I want to drive from Phoenix to Los Angeles, 200 bucks. How come? Because they want you to get the truck back here so they can sell it and rent it again. Go to Dallas, it's three and four thousand dollars. Try to come from Dallas back to Los Angeles. Eight hundred bucks, six hundred bucks, right? Go online. You can do it to uhaul.com. 
See what the cost is. See how money is making decisions. Where the current political power in California, and for those of us that, that have chosen to stay here and fight it out for as long as we can, as long as we will, I, I think it's an uphill battle. I think they're going to cheat. They give de- ballots to everybody. You, you realize the Democrat Party knows, they understand, they know when they send out ballots to everybody, including your last three addresses, right? If you were a student and you lived at four different places, if you're a young family and you've lived at six different places, they send a ballot everywhere. You have six ballots in your name floating out there somewhere. You understand that? That's what this mail-in ballot baloney is all about. So the state of California, instead of saying, listen, we want to be a leader in the nation by doing things the right way. We want to be a leader in the nation because half of the leadership in Washington, D.C. is run by us, the Democrats of California, and even a Republican of California. The simple everyday people in the Floridas and the, in the Mississippi and the Washington state, they just, they're not represented anymore, right? They're being bullied by the by the guys and gals in the center. Uh, I'm sorry, on the outside, right? Nancy Pelosi, Diane Feinstein, and others that have pushed the Democrat Party to the far left. Now, listen, you can argue that she didn't, but she did by doing nothing. She did by not using her political capital. So my point is, you have to ask yourself, politically speaking, are the values of California, even Bakersfield, even Kevin McCarthy, who's really pretty much adopted Washington values. Again, I like the guy. I think he's a nice guy. I feel like I needed to buy a used car or something after speaking with him. It just, just the way it is. He's different. Right? Congressman Mike Garcia, I love him. I'm hopeful he doesn't get tainted because he's a good guy. He doesn't get tainted by the crazies there. But who's representing the regular folks? That's what Congress was supposed to be. It's supposed to be regular people, not being not regular people being bullied by the elites. So, so we're seeing some changes there. We'll see if Kevin McCarthy holds on throughout this weekend and and next week as Matt Gates and others may be challenging his speakership. He, he should be very simple. He said, "Listen, here's how much money we have to spend. Decide where you want to spend it. Each and one of your committees." Because here's how it goes: each one of the committees, right? If you're transportation, here's how much we need for roads. Well, that's you're solving the problem incorrectly. You have to say, hey, guys, here's how much we have for roads. Figure out how to spend it. You say, well, but we want to do this other project. Sorry, there just isn't money. Until we find another place to bring in money, then we're not going to do it. Oh, oh we need this for, sorry, We're going to have to change Medicare. We're going to have to raise premiums. I don't want to raise premiums on Medicare. They seem to hurt the ones that that can afford it the least. So I want to go over my solution to solve for Medicare and Social Security because it always seems that they're the ones left holding the bag as career Washington seems to make its move on what they think you want, how they think they can manipulate you. So here's how I think we can solve Social Security. In fact, as a financial professional for so many years and even working in the pension world for a bit, I I can tell you what I think needs to be done. The exact numbers, whether we're half a percent or one one percent up or down, but I need you to get this because it can be solved. 
Same thing with Medicare, actually. Very simple. Number one, I think in the social security realm, you can start with a couple of things. One, you have to take age 62. So for example, if you are 59 years old or older, you can still start collecting social security at 62. You could push it off for a few years. But if you're 58, I'm sorry, you messed up. (laughs) It's too late. You have to wait till 65. Maybe you slowly move that up where you can't start Social Security for a year or two or three. Maybe it's something like that. But I think 65 needs to be the ultimate number to start Social Security. Again, perfect scenario? No, but the way to solve the problem, yes. Did you want to... Did you want Arif to speak on his on the behalf of his clients? I think you should give them a lot more money. But if I have to set back and look at the, the the national issues, it has to be raising Social Security, the beginning, instead of age 62 to age 65. That number one. Number two, I think in order to get past the 65, 70, 75% is, is what's expected to be available at age uh, sorry, at 2033. In 2033, Social Security is expected to be able to pay only about two-thirds of what it owes. So, for example, if you have a check, a Social Security check today for $2,000, you're probably going to get $1,500. You're like, but but I, I need the $500. Uh, yes, you do. I'm sorry. Democrats, Republicans, you need to sit down and figure this out. Otherwise, 2000 is going to become 1500 at a time when people need it the most. So that's the problem we're trying to solve. So number two, here's what I want you to do. At $147,000, $150,000, somewhere in that world is where they stop collecting Social Security. So if you are a high income earner, and today that's a lot of people. It may not be you, I understand. But there are a lot of people in this country that make more than 150000 a year. I think we have to collect Social Security and listen, I'm going to be one of them. I don't want to pay. But I think you have to start collecting it at $200,000. All the way up. If you're making 200000 a year, you're going to continue to put into Social Security. That will help. But here's the trade-off. If somebody is making that kind of money, maybe they have rental property. Maybe they have annuities. Maybe they have other investments or retirement accounts. So I'll tell you what. Let them continue to defer Social Security and have an increase until age 75. Don't stop at age 70. Raise it till age 75. So look, if I don't take Social Security at 70, then I get another 8% at 71, another 8% at 72, and on and on. Look, that's an increase of 8 times 5. I'll help you with the math. (laughs) That's 40%. So if you were supposed to get $3,000 in Social Security at age 70, you'll now get $4,200 approximately. Arif, where are we going to get that money from? Well, because the person deferred it for all of those other years. And the reason that they probably would defer it, it's not that difficult to think of, is because they have other money and they're making income. And guess what they're doing with that other income? They're still putting into Social Security. So they're adding money to the Social Security pot and they are not taking money out of the social security pot. I like that, right? The reason that the lockdowns and the China virus really screwed people over, financially speaking, it's simple. It's because people that had no intention of starting social security prior to age 67 or 70 at 64 said, well, my company just laid me off because I'm not going to take the shot. So 
where am I going to get the money from? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll just start Social Security now. And that's what you saw, is people that had no intention of starting Social Security just did. And so now they're not putting in anymore, right? For two years, the government said, we're going to give you unearned income. Unearned income is not subject to Social Security tax. I would not change that. Here's why. Because Social Security is not going to increase according to my wages. I don't get more benefits. I don't qualify for it. It doesn't count towards my Medicare, nothing. I don't get any goodness on the good side. So I shouldn't be paying Social Security tax on capital gains. I should not be paying Social Security tax on unearned income. just doesn't make sense. Right? You're going to have to give both ways. I think that's not the right answer. I think $200,000 in income, of earned income, which is a lot of people today. Folks, if you're, uh, look, some of you work for the city, county, state. Maybe there ought to be a change there too. I don't know. Right? If you don't say, hey, if you're not putting in 15% into your pension for the city, for Lasers, for uh, Horizons, whatever it might be, if you're not putting 15%, that's the number then you do have to put it in towards Social Security. Maybe that's the... And it will force the public pensions, force the private pensions to increase that number. Because that's the only way to save them. right? Who's going to bail out the teacher's pension, which, by the way, is already bankrupt, mathematically speaking? Who's, who's going to pay the teach? Oh, yeah, the taxpayers, aren't they? The people that have no pension whatsoever coming to them are going to be forced to pay for police officers, for judges, for firefighters, for city workers, for Caltrans. All of those places that have that are not putting into the social security system are going to need money. All right. Help me understand how a guy who can barely pay his bills is going to pay a 6 8 10, $15,000 a month pension for a city of fill in the blank, for a county of it doesn't matter. And that guy or gal says, I need a pension because you said you were going to pay me. All right, that's fine. We, we as a society decided that. But now you're going to tax a single mother of, of two working two two part-time jobs to pay for his or her pension so they can be in Fiji this summer because it's great this time of year. Listen, I, I'm, only, I'm not giving you a judgment on it. I, I'm giving you the reporting on it. So in the end of the story, you're going to explain to me how you're not going to create this class warfare. Educators that are 69 but in great health and a 38-year-old mother of two who's single. You're telling me you're, you're going to go after her paycheck so that, a, a, so don't worry, don't worry, ma'am. In 28 years, you're going to have an amazing pension, but don't worry, right? How are you going to say that? If you say, listen, here's the, here's the bad news. Here's the ugly for all of us. Got it. But here's the good stuff. Okay. Most Americans, most Californians would fight that. We, we would say that's a good idea. We would fight for that rather. Right, we would say, okay, listen, I get it. 
You work for the California Department of Motor Vehicles. You work for a Department of Water and Power. Okay. Well, we will be there for the other side of the equation to help fund it because it was mismanaged so much, whatever the pension fund might be that's mismanaged. I get it. But you can't hurt me. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm, I'm hoping you guys understand. I'm not anti-pension. I think it's a great idea. I'm anti-mismanagement of pensions. Because they let it grow and grow and grow, right? When I started in the financial world, it was, what, 6 or $10 billion underfunded for the California Public Employees Retirement System. Today, it's, what, $300 billion plus upside down, depending on the numbers you look at. Could be $400 billion missing upside down. That's, that's a lot of money. Who's going to pay that? The guy that, that's just trying to get by? The retail worker? Because California thinks it's so smart and it says you now have to pay $20 for a fast food worker. Do you know what's going to happen? Restaurants will close and they will fire those people. And the ones that will stay, you're going to pay $14 for a hamburger. You will. So if you think it's okay to do that, then great. But where do you think those restaurant owners that, that understand how to manage a restaurant, where do you think those patrons that say, I can't afford $14 for a hamburger? What is this, the LAX? Is this, is this the airport? And so you're driving up the wages so people will leave. They've already done it with gasoline. You realize we pull oil out of the ground right here in northern Los Angeles County. And you could drive on the freeways. You could look, you could see them all over the place. You see the oil wells working. The refinery is right down the street. Refinery, in other words, oil into gasoline and many other products. The gas station is a mile the other direction. You can have people just carry gal gallons of gas over to the gas station. You don't even have to put it in a pipeline or run it in a truck. And you're telling me that, oh, it's because of China. Oh, it's because of difficult. Oh, it's Ukraine. Ukraine, those Russians. The... The oil comes out of the ground, the refined and everything. It's right here, right down the street. So if they mismanage that, if we're right here, can you explain to me how you're going to trust them with these pensions? You cannot. So you have to make it hurt for everybody so that everybody pays attention. Because you are going to get hurt. That's not going to change. But you have to know where it's coming from. All right, what else do I think for Social Security? Well, I think you need to give the ability for the stay-at-home spouse to make a percentage of the lower of the two. Let me give you an example. If his Social Security is $3,000 and hers is $1,200, and then he passes away, she loses $1,200 a month and just receives $3,000. $1,200 a month is a lot of money to lose in one month just because somebody passed away. I think you, you need to, to give a transition. You have to say, okay, we're going to continue to give you 75% of it. I don't know. Again, fix the number for the next 12 months so you can get back on your feet. Sell the house, move, take in a roommate, whatever it is you have to do. You see how it's a two-way street? Stay with me, guys, after the break. I'm Eric Hallaby. This is the Total Financial Hour. It's 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. My solutions for Social Security. How do we solve it so that it doesn't go bankrupt? Well, I have the answer. 
Eric Hallaby on AM870 The Answer. I'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arif Halaby. Hey, welcome back. Thanks for staying with me. I'm Arif Halaby, the total financial hour, AM870, the answer. 888-997-3847. That's 888-99-RETIRE. Okay, I want to give you a couple of things here. For your emails after the uh, top of the hour next break, I'm going to be coming back with a couple of interesting emails. Uh, Let me give you my email address. You can send me your questions. Sometimes I answer them directly to you. Sometimes they'll be on the air. So when you send one in, don't think that I'm uh, just because I didn't cover it on the air. It doesn't matter. Uh, Of course, I'm back with you privately as well. Depends on how sensitive as well. My email address, Arif, A-R-I-F, at tfswealth.com. So that's Arif, A-R-I-F, at T as in Tom, F as in Frank, S as in Sam. So tfswealth, as in a lot of money, dot com. Okay, so I wanted to give you a couple of things for you to understand what's happening in, I, I guess, the the world of Social Security. Like, what is the reason that people are leaving California. And does that have anything to do with social security? So social security is calculated on a federal level. So the federal government, it doesn't care whether you live in Washington state with no income tax or whether you live in Colorado or California or Texas or Tennessee, federal government taxes, both income tax and social security benefits are all calculated based on the national average. So if you live in some places, You might struggle a little bit if you're just going to receive Social Security. It's why a lot of people retire and sometimes go down to Mexico. We would see that often where people would say, hey, I'm living in Rosarito or south of Rosarito Beach or, you know, very close to the to the border a couple hours. But they live in a wonderful home for less money and property taxes are $100 a year. Things things that just blow your mind. It's why a lot of Americans are moving to Portugal or to Ecuador, Spain. So Social Security will pay you wherever you go. So one of my solutions to funding it is very simple. I would do a portion in two different places of this tax. I'm not a, a huge tax person, but I'm, I'm generally an, let's make it fair. I hate that F word. Let's make it as equal as possible. All right, here's what it is. If you're going to send money out of the United States... So you're going to work here, and mostly now we have, what, 10 million illegal people just in the last couple of years. You think they're here to to build a life for themselves? Most of them are not. They're not migrants. A migrant comes and goes. They're an immigrant, meaning they have no plans to leave. But they're sending their money back. They're here illegally. They came in to be a resident to eventually get amnesty, but they send funds back to their hometown. That's why you have men of what 
what we would say fighting age, right? Military serving age. That's a, a scary term. It's a new euphemism to say, uh-oh, watch out, they could be dangerous. Maybe rightfully so. These aren't women and children escaping the ravages of civil war in their villages being burnt to the ground. That's, that's not who it is. It started out being a lot of the Mayans. Right? You understand that. The, the Mayans, which are the indigenous people of Guatemala and the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico, Nicaragua, a lot of the, the people that didn't have a chance, some of them don't even speak Spanish. They only speak Mayan. I know I've been there to the hills six hours north of Guatemala City. I couldn't believe it. There were people that didn't even speak Spanish. They spoke Mayan. And we had to have a seven-year-old boy translate. It was a, a medical mission. It was incredible. You thought, wow, th this still exists in today's... Yes, it does. And so when I share that with you, I want you to understand the wave of at one point were people that the, the people didn't in Guatemala, they didn't like. They sent them to the north because they were poor and they took from the system. That's not who it is anymore. The last few years, these are young working age men. Now, how do you solve this problem? Number one is you tax the money going back to that country. It doesn't matter. Philippines, Lebanon, it doesn't matter. Where If you're going to send money back to that country... Western Union or, or a million of these other type of companies that pop up, Bank of America and Wells Fargo send millions of dollars a week, millions, probably per day millions, billions of dollars a year. You tax it 5%. These are people that are working here, but they're not going to spend the money here. Not at the grocery store, which allows wages to be paid, which allows social security taxes to be charged. Not at the restaurants where they allow wages to be paid and social security tax to be collected. They are, they are folks that are choosing to spend money elsewhere in another country. We don't collect social security benefits if they spend it at a restaurant in Manila or Delhi or in Beirut or in Mexico city or in San Jose, Costa Rica. You realize that. The money's gone, gone forever in another place. So we don't allow that. Right? I, I need you to say we're going to tax that 5%. So here's what we do. We take some of it and it builds the border wall. That's how President Trump could have easily explained it. Here's how Mexico will pay for the wall. We're going to tax all the revenue that goes towards Mexico. In fact, we're not going to discriminate against Mexico. We're going to discriminate against everybody. If you spend the money outside of this country, 5% right here. Boom. Maybe we take 3% and we build a wall. We use border enforcement, Coast Guard, northern border. There's tons of human trafficking coming from the north. It's another conversation, but it isn't just happening in the south. right? China is pushing uh, Chinese women into sex slavery coming in through, through Canada. So you have border protections, port, police, everything, not just a wall. New border police, right? Border patrol. All right, that's a portion. Maybe that's three or four percent. Then one or two percent goes where? Right back into Social Security. Or, ready for this? Hold your horses. Medicare. What? Yes, because these folks are getting illegal insurance. LA County is doing it. I promise you this. I will bet a year's wages on it. Well, Arif, how do you know that? 
All right. All right, I'll tell you how I know people that work there are clients. And they're whistleblowers and they come in. Some of them have proof. Some of them will tell you, listen, my supervisor is a left-wing socialist who says, make up these words. Uh, don't ask them this question. Tell them this to say. And surprise, L.A. County gets gives health care to illegal immigrants. So you need to fund it, and you use those taxes. Taxes from the same people getting the services that are sending the money overseas. Now, listen, some people, right, I might help out family overseas. That means I'm going to pay it because the money's not going to stay here. I'm going to send it to, to family members in another place or friends in another place. Absolutely fine. That's what you do. So I think we can solve a lot of the problems by nickel and diming where the problems occur. The problem in doing so is you're just going to be called a racist in the end of the story. Right? When, when it takes $50,000 a year to live in California and it takes, and yet you could live $56,000 a year better, right? 11, 12%, 13% better in Dallas, Texas. Did you know that? Did you know you could live in a better uh, in a better way by living in a different state? Oh yeah, of course people know that. So why is it that folks are leaving California? Is it because the the wages that it takes to live here are expensive? That's part of it. Seven dollars a gallon for gasoline. But people are going to all sorts of places, North Carolina, Florida, South Carolina, Georgia. All of you know somebody. Today it is, it is much, much closer to this. I now know somebody who has left the state of California, sold everything. Is it perfect? Of course not. You're going to miss friends and family and the weather. and Of course not. But when you can save 10, 15 I don't know, maybe 20% a gallon in gasoline? How, how can you survive? Right? When gasoline is $3.25, $3.30, right? a gallon. When was the last time you paid that, Glendale? <laughs> when was the last time you paid that, Bel Air, West LA, Orange, Anaheim? No, you haven't. So the state of California is, does not want you here. Can they say it any clearer? They are a sanctuary state. They want illegal immigrants here. They don't want you here. I mean, have you ever been in a relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend or, or even a neighbor friend? Just, just a guy friend, right? And they just keep forgetting to invite you to the parties. And eventually, it kind of dawns on you, maybe they just don't want to be your friend. Maybe, maybe nothing wrong with you. In fact, it could be all them. But the truth is still there. Right? California doesn't want you here, period. So you have to decide to either make them want you here by voting properly, changing some of these rules, getting rid of this absentee ballots, and having voter ID. How hard is that? 
You have to have voter ID to collect a welfare check. You have to have voter, I mean, ID. You have to have ID to, to collect, to deposit a bank account. You have to have an ID if you want to walk onto a military base or go into a federal building. Right? So get, oh, did you need a prescription? I'd like to see your ID, please. You want to go to your doctor? I need to see your ID. They don't want you using somebody else's Medicare or your, or Blue Cross or Kaiser plan. You have to show proof that that's you. Well, who doesn't have an ID? So those are my solutions for Social Security. My solutions to change it here in California is simple. You're going to send in a, a um, absentee ballot, no problem. You sign it and you put your right thumbprint. I would put an RFP, which is a request for proposal, out there. And I would say, I need a single-use item that can go on paper where I can press my thumb down, my right thumb. You already have it. The DMV already has your fingerprints, right? Whether you have a California ID or driver's license. So when I say my name is Arif Hallaby and I live at 1234 Main Street and here's my thumbprint, those things should line up with the database. And if my thumbprint is smudged because someone's trying to play a funny game, then you pull that uh, ballot and you pull it off to the side. And you use those what's called provisional ballots. We need to double check. We need to make sure it's really you. Not somebody pretending to be you. How's that? Oh, okay, great. Here you go. Right? I mean, it's not that difficult. I think what you have to do is... uh, Figure out what is important. Is democracy important? Because if you do that, then you get a a much clearer reflection of the people in which you are governing. Instead of having a few elite people give the idea of what they think you should want, and when you walk down the street and you hear, nobody likes Gavin Newsom, nobody likes what he's doing, nobody likes what he's saying. Listen, there's the Prius drivers with the Bernie bumper stickers. They're, They're out there. Right? You, you still see the guy who's got 16 bumper stickers on him. They're never saying, well, I did see one pro-Trump one. But usually they're the far lefties, the left-wing crazies that decide to take a perfectly good car and cover it with pieces of paper and glue. Okay. Very few people, when looking at an issue, will say we should open our borders to illegal aliens. Very few people when looking at an issue, would say that it's okay to give somebody who came to this country full medical benefits, seven and a half months pregnant, that that swam across the border illegally, that came on a train. I, I don't mean they're bad people. They're good human beings. And one of you even recently, maybe you're listening, oh, Eric, you don't know how the asylum system works. Let me, let me tell you how it works again. And if you're listening, it'd be great to educate you. If you are under threat in your homeland, whether it's Africa or, or Indonesia, wherever you might be, continent or, or state or country, then you're allowed to go to the, most, the, the closest, most adjacent to you. So if you have two countries that have turmoil, you go to the third. You skip, skip, skip until you get to one where you can go and seek asylum. Hi, I'm from Panama. I'd like to seek asylum in Nicaragua. You might have to skip through Costa Rica if it's in big turmoil. You may have to skip through Nicaragua. 
Maybe you go up to Guatemala. Maybe you go over to Honduras. The point is, you don't come from Jamaica or Haiti to the United States. You don't come from Somalia, Ethiopia, or or, or Saudi Arabia, or, or Iraq, or Lebanon. You don't come via from who knows where, China. What, what, what are you talking about? Are you a political prisoner? You don't get to come to the United States because you want goodies. You're like, oh, I like those goodies. I want air conditioning. That's not how it's supposed to work. No country can afford to be so fragmented and survive. You can't. The reason people came to the United States is because at, at moments in time, we dripped in and sometimes a greater amount of immigration. Simple. And usually that first generation felt close to stay in what we call barrio or their ghetto or their neighborhood, right? Whether it's little Italy or little Saigon or Thai town, little Armenia, whatever, whatever there was a concentration of people. But the next generation, right? The next generation did what? They wanted to go to school. They got better. They picked up a trade. They learned the language. They, they assimilated. And maybe the grandparents never did learn the language. Maybe they never did really venture outside of their community, but they still didn't try to undermine the community. Today, we see that a lot more. So the problem that we have with the, with the immigration push is they're not wanting to be Americans. They wanted to have all the goodies that Americans get, but not the work. So when you say, I don't understand the immigration system, I can tell you this, or the asylum system, uh, that was about 43 members of my family. Six months after they got here, kids, young people spoke no English the day they arrived. Six months later, no accent. Not that that means anything, whether they have an accent or not, uh, but they did know the language. Yes, they were all held back, most of them, one grade in school. So if they, if they came here and they're supposed to be in sixth grade, they went to fifth grade. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Yeah, they had to work hard. Nobody said you can't be your, uh, your, your culture, but you're coming to the United States because you want the good stuff. right? The reason you leave California isn't to take California politics to Texas. right? You're escaping California. You're a political refugee to Idaho. You don't change Boise. But that's what people have done. That's why Boise has the far left wing crazy mayor. Austin, Texas, finally trying to turn around. We'll see because you have a good governor. Idaho, the governor is still a bit of a coward. He needs to come in and put his put his uh, foot down and make sure that Boise, Idaho. But do you see what happens? Next thing for immigrants, immigration, you have a sealed border. You tax what goes overseas. The third thing is you have a worker a guest worker program. They're going to send money overseas anyway. Most of them want to go back to where their family and friends are anyway. So you just say, listen, we're going to bring, we need 10,000 workers for fruits and vegetables this harvest. We used to do this. Okay, you 10,000. I need to have a bus ticket or an airline ticket round trip. You have agencies just like there's employment agencies. You have an agency that holds the ticket. You require that employer to have insurance, private insurance for that person. That employer is required to withhold taxes. And guess what? Guess what? Send the money to Social Security. 
And we say, listen, we're going to hold it for you. So if you choose to become an American citizen and work here and contribute, then you know what? You contributed to the Social Security uh, footwork of, of America. You got it. You get your piece. And if not, well, there was a job that an American could have had who would have put into Social Security. So you lose. You're going to send money overseas anyway. There's six of you living in a three-bedroom apartment. So it isn't as if you're a consumer spending money through the, the sales tax system. So a guest worker program. And you apply. You have a set of rules. Yeah, you do have high standards. You can't be arrested. You can't be caught drunk. You can't be caught using drugs, committing any crime, drunk driving, driving without a license. None of those things. We used to catch that on a regular basis in, in Los Angeles when I was part of the police department, right? For the 11 years or so, 10 and a half years that I was a police officer, most of the hit and run accidents that we had, not all of them, but most were illegal immigrants without a driver's license. And mostly it was ladies for whatever reason. Sometimes it was men that were, were intoxicated, but many it was times it was women. They shouldn't be driving. And we would know this. Why? Because on the side streets is where they drive. I could pick you up and drop you in the San Fernando Valley or West Side, tell you what streets were the corridors that these folks that didn't have a license, that didn't have insurance would drive. They wouldn't drive on the main highways. They wouldn't drive on the freeways. They would often drive on the side streets. So we knew that. And when you were looking for violators and you would see things, maybe they didn't have seatbelts on, maybe they were speeding, whatever it might be, but often... These side streets were narrow. People would pull out. They couldn't see each other. They were driving a little fast. And hence, you have a hit and run. It's not everybody. You're crazy if you think it's everybody. Maybe if you think, this is just a guess. If you're looking out and you see everybody as their race. Oh, there's only four women. Or oh, I went to a party and there was only one one other black person there. Oh, oh I was there and I saw one, one uh, overtly gay person. Or, or maybe that's you that has the problem. Maybe everybody else just sees a person. Hey, there's a guy. Hey, there's a lady wearing a blue shirt. Why is it that they have to be their race? Or when I say illegal immigrant, you immediately think Hispanic. Right? I mean, I mean, I think that's probably a you problem. Because there's illegal immigrants from all over the world, from Canada, from Cuba, from Mexico, from the Philippines, from India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Lebanon, uh, Greece, Spain. You, you realize that? Everybody's trying to get in the door before the next president comes in, shuts the door, and then the Democrats, guess who's going to push, 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 push for asylum and amnesty, and here we go. We just created 10 million new voters who most likely are going to vote. Now, if the Republicans were smart, they would do a double whammy backflip on them, right? <laughs> Meaning you would create something that says, hey, illegal immigrants, just like the Democrats did, right? Illegal immigrants, uh, we're the party of you. Because we're going to get you on track. We're going to get you to become American. You're going to assimilate. You're going to go to school. You're going to be, speak the language, read the language. I, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if that's trying to push a rock uphill. But the Democrats did it under Johnson. Right? They had nothing to do with the passage of the Civil Rights Act. In fact, the Democrats were the most racist party probably in the history of the United States. 
And yet with the signature by President Johnson, right? just take a look. Prager University will tell you. The amount of Republican, uh, black men and women in America that voted Republican, it was what, 70, 80%. Johnson uh, signs the Civil Rights Act. Surprise. They, they, they did an about face and now they're in the front of the room marching with uh, the illegal immigrants in their, uh, in this case, the, the African-American citizens, right? They took credit for something they had nothing to do with. So my point is, maybe there's a way strategically, I don't know, for the Republicans to, uh, to ultimately decide. Maybe it's a conservative issue. A lot of the immigrants that come here have basic family values. Try to be a, a gay person in Cuba. Try, try to be a gay person in, in some of these Muslim countries. It, it doesn't work. Right? Do you understand that? They, they stone you, kill you, put you in prison. Try to be in Iran. That, that you want to have free speech. Try to be a, a public speaker. Mm, nope, sorry. So, if Republicans want to take over this, right? you guys let the door open. Everybody's talking. Everybody's getting their paycheck. All of your staffers. You have your meetings. And you guys did nothing about it, Republicans. Right? It's, we're in the same boat. So last thing on illegal immigration, I, I like the guest worker program after, right? After the borders locked down. And next, you stop this hyphenization. People are Americans from Greek descent. Americans from Mexican descent. Ronald Reagan had it right, didn't he? Stay with me after the break, guys. I have your emails. Solving more problems. That's what the Total Financial Solution Hour is all about. Arif Halaby, TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions. 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. Stay with me on AM870, The Answer. I'm Arif Halaby. We'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now Arab has a plan for me. Hey, welcome back to the show. Arab Halaby, the total financial hour. I appreciate you staying with me. Talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I think this is important as you are trying to figure out, uh, well, in your normal everyday life, the changes that are happening in the economy. We are in one of those increases, right? For many years, we were flat, kind of stagnant, one and two and 3% inflation, one and two and three. In fact, we would budget 3% inflation for a client's income increases and, and it would uh, often be less than, or, or sorry, more than what they really needed. Maybe they only needed 1% or even nothing. And no, if I'm fine. Today, we have to budget in 5% increases. 
And hopefully, you know, that's enough to live on between the price of fuel and, and electricity, right? The Department of Water and Power have really kind of shafted it to the uh, citizens of LA. Southern California Edison, the same thing. You understand what they are doing to the ratepayers is is ungodly. It's it's just horrible. First of all, they convinced you to put a power plant on the top of your roof that you have to pay for, maintain, repair. And then in turn, it generates electricity back to them. And what do they pay for it? Nothing. Virtually nothing. Right? They sold you on the bait and switch. Initially, oh, we're going to give you uh, whatever, 25 cents or 20 cents per kilowatt hour. Oh, great. When you're on vacation, you're sending money back to the grid, getting a credit. When you come back and you want to run your air conditioning all day on a Saturday and Sunday because you're home, relaxing. Yeah, sorry. Can't do that anymore. Not for free. So now you're putting money into the system. They reduced it instead of buying it back for, example, 20 cents. They're buying it back for 5 cents. But you're the one who has to pay for it. You, You have to pay for the power plant. Look, if you're going to be completely separate off the grid, right? Everything in life is about grays, I think. I, I don't think there's a lot of, there are some, but a lot of black and whites. I don't think people understand what I've said in the past, including last week, about the disposal of the batteries and the, the solar panels and the wind turbines, for that matter. There just isn't a place to put them. Nobody has, it's a toxic material. Nobody has a a system in place to, on any kind of large scale, disassemble, recycle, reuse, whatever the case is. Any of those items. But does it affect the, the environment? I don't really think so. I think that's turned out to be just a bunch of hogwash. Right, I was in Norway recently looking at these icebergs and or what are they called? Not icebergs, the uh, the fjords with the uh, glaciers. And I thought, wow, look at how far back that glacier is. I mean, it used to be all the way down down at this lake, and now you're you're hiking back almost a mile back to get to this glacier, and you go, oh my word, the retracting, the retreating of these glaciers. And then you look at the sign, and it says, in 1875, this is where it was. And then you walk back and it says in eighteen in nineteen oh five here's where it was, and then you keep walking walking up a trail. Oh, okay, I get it. It's going backwards, but man didn't have anything to do with that. It was retreating before there was the industrial revolution. It was retreating before the U.S. in some cases were even a real country, right? So this whole idea that people have any real impact on the glacial uh, movement or decline. I don't know. I just, something just doesn't sit right. Right. When you and I were kids and we were playing outside in the seventies and there was a red flag alert. I bet if you ask a fifth grader today, what's a red flag alert? They won't even know what that means. What's a smog alert? No clue. You and I know what it is. It meant we couldn't play outside. We couldn't run we couldn't do before school. You couldn't run and play before school. You couldn't run and play after school. You were forced to do inside like if it was a rainy day, right? You had to stay inside because there was such a layer of smog across 
the, the San Fernando Valley. Yes, we see it now and again, right? The wind comes off the ocean and you look in the Pasadena San Gabriel area and, and what do you see? You see a big thick brown layer. Sometimes the smog blows in like that. Yeah, but it's not even close to the way it was when there was regular leaded gas. Yeah, did you guys know there used to, <laughs> my under 40s, there used to be leaded gasoline. Now there is unleaded, that's it, or diesel. So when they when they had these smog alerts, they said, hey, we're, we're creating this thing called a catalytic converter. We're creating this thing called uh, efficiency standards and on and on. What are the amount of vehicles on the road today in Southern California compared to the 19, let's say 1978? I don't know. I will bet it's probably double, could be triple the amount. And we still don't have red smog, red flag or, or smog alerts. So if you're telling me that mankind has something to do with these things, look, oh, Eric, you can't see ozone. I get it. Why don't you hear any talk about the ozone layer anymore? Shh, don't tell anybody. It's because the ozone layer is, is filling itself back up again. I don't know why. Don't know anything about it, but you don't hear any ideas about this. We're going to be baked under the sun. Look, I think you can point to anything and you can do an environmental hysteria on it. And, and you might be right on some level that there's something going on. But my point is the transitioning of these dollars away from making the roads better, uh, away from expanding the freeways, if that's what we're supposed to do, or away from making it so that people could have legitimate health care, right? Away from this craziness of our borders being wide open. Why is it that we can't have a, a movement of all of these billions of dollars for this green energy stuff, which is completely and totally still subjective? Why? I think it's power, right? So that's my point. I think there's a power shift that's happening. I think you have to have in your mind the idea that you're going to, well, pay for the left-wing ideas. So many of you don't realize that the system is set up differently, right? The system is completely set up differently. Here's why. Because it's not meant to make you successful. It's meant to punish you for being successful, right? If you make a lot of money, you should pay your quote fair share, which just means it comes from your pocket and pay somebody who's unwilling to work. I'm not talking about our soldiers who are injured. I'm not talking about men and women who suffer disabilities. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the shifting of dollars to people that are able-bodied, but whose head is inside of a computer or a cell phone all day long. And they're not productive members of society. I don't know what the answer is. I, I can just tell you that they're creating this class warfare, warfare by taking money from one and giving it to another. And instead of requiring, listen, I'm okay. If you can't work or you can't find a job or you're unemployed or you're a union person getting unemployment, maybe you're on strike or something, then you got to clean the freeways, right? Clean, clean the side of the roads. Take a look at the, the off ramps, make the world a little bit cleaner, clean the parks, get rid of homeless people. I don't know what, whatever your, your skill level is to do, but why are we paying people to stay home? 
right? Go volunteer. If you pass a, a test, whatever it is, you go volunteer at the public park. You're getting paid to do what? To exist? To breathe? Shouldn't we make it so that there's pride again in an individual's life? I, I don't know. I think so. I think something's missing. People sit at home, they eat the processed food and drink soda. They get heavier and heavier and heavier. Now diabetic and now they need appliances like walkers and canes. And you go, man, this was a human being six years ago that was healthy and strong. Yes, they had a small problem. But the goal was to get them cared for so that they could always be on the uh, cared for instead of cared for so they could get better. It seems, seems, I don't know. I just worry about you guys because if you're choosing to work, especially here in California, workers comp wages are going to go through the roof. The taxes are going to charge for unemployment go through the roof. Our current unemployment here in the state of California is underfunded by $20 B billion. That means we need a certain amount for unemployment and it's $20 billion underfunded. Gavin Newsom just did one of his first presidential, pre-presidential moves, which is to veto a union bill that would allow people that strike on their own volition, right, their own choice, to still get unemployment. Right now, you're not allowed to do that. If you go on strike, the union should be paying you $100 a day, $50 a day, I don't know, something. Some do, maybe, not anymore, most of them. So why is it that Gavin Newsom vetoed this unemployment bill? Well, very simple. I think it's to show you that he's back in the center. Oh, see, I'm a center, center left guy. I'm a moderate. I don't always do what the unions want me to do. Well, no, it's because you can do math. They're just this, there's $20 billion short. You do this, we're going to lose billions of dollars because we are entering a phase of union strikes and wage requests and demands for increases, right? When you have, what is it, hotel workers, guys, just go get a different job. Just go get a different job. If, if you don't like it, I don't know why you would do a job where you're forcing them to pay you more money. Really? You think they're going to like you? You think, what, they're not going to fire six people to pay for the, for the other hundred? Of course they will. They brought in automation. Look at restaurants. Right? It used to provide an income for six, maybe 10 people per shift. Now there's what, three or four? And yay, those three or four make $20 an hour. Well, maybe they're happy, but what about the other five or six that, are, that don't have a job now? Of course they're not happy. And when you work at a fast food restaurant or a hotel, you're doing so for what reason? To get by to the next you're not getting. You're not doing this to raise a family of four. You're, you should be doing it to go to night school or to day school, go to trade school to get better, fill the gap while your husband or or wife finishes college. Right? It's designed as a stepping stone. It's not designed as a career path. But when you have no skill, especially if you're here illegally, then you think of it as this is the only way out. So maybe there's an issue there when you're choosing not to improve your skill set. Maybe I listen, I'm telling you, I live in the gray. A lot of things today are gray. Shades of gray, still gray. 
And I think some of you are afraid to, oh, we don't want to say that. That's racist. I don't want to be called the R word. Get back in my lane. Put my head down. Watch my TikTok. Three steps forward. Three steps forward. Maybe some of you just ought to stand up and have courage. I told you. Courage is going to cost you something. I pray it's not uh, uh, more than you can handle. But you have to stand up somewhere because somebody has to. I prefer your values. If you're listening to AM870, you're generally speaking have probably pretty good values. All right, let me jump onto my email here. Dear Arif, I retired from a large entertainment company in Southern California and I rolled over my pension from them in the form of a lump sum into my traditional IRA. Is it possible to begin withdrawing money from that before I am 65 years old? I am currently 61 and I have been retired for a couple of years. I thought I would wait until I was 65, but things have changed. My wife just retired this year and we want to start Social Security as soon as possible. Does it make sense to do that? My Social Security will be $3,200 a month at age 62. That's pretty good. My wife is 60, so she will have to wait. We rolled over the 401k I had into an IRA that is separate from the pension IRA. The 401k rollover has 490000 Okay, they've done okay. My pension IRA has 975000 We need about 7500 a month to live each month, but we don't want to tie up our money because we may want to buy an RV or travel. We also like to take cruises about once or twice a year. We are also concerned about long-term care insurance and our health care costs because her mom was, was uh, in need for many years and it cost her most of her savings. All right. So let me kind of give you a recap on this. <clears throat> this couple, they have a total of about uh, 10, 5, about 1.6 million or so in a couple of different IRAs. So when you roll over your money from a pension plan, many of you are going to have options. I know uh, some of the defense contractors, Kaiser Hospital, some of the uh, DWP might, um, Southern California Edison, the gas company, Disney. Some of you that have different companies that have pension plans will give you two options or well, maybe multiple options, but one of the main options, would you like us to keep this lump sum, meaning you'll never get it again, but you will for the rest of your life and maybe your spouse's wife uh, life receive a pension payment. So you'll get a monthly check or you get a lump sum and we never see you again. Right? For some of you, you know the inner workings of your employer and you think this is a good deal. They're doing great. I have no problems uh, with their fiscal uh, abilities to manage their finances. So I'm going to trust my pension with them. Here you go. Keep it. Keep my 975000 and pay me a monthly pension forever. Or some of you say, listen, I don't feel safe. There's a lot of lawsuits coming down the road. Technology's changing. Some of the executives are having concerns, right? So maybe you're going to say, oh, I just don't want to keep my lump sum money with them. I prefer to take it out. Now, what, what that means is you can't go out and do speculative things. Many of you think your pension lump sum is a savings account, right? Like you could say, oh, I need 50000 for a new kitchen. I want to give my daughter 100000 for her backyard. You understand if you take money from a pension 
like that in lump sum chunks, the amount of income taxes you will pay is unheard of. Meaning you will lose big chunks of your money. I had this happen recently. A client took a pension, uh, a lump sum pension. She had about $800,000. And she said, I want to give my daughter $100,000 for a down payment on a house. I said, why? She said, well, you know, she's worked hard. She's been a good girl. She's been in school. I said, okay, well, do you realize that's going to cost you 150000 She said, why? I said, because you're going to take out 150000 You'll give 50000 to the state of California and the federal government. So you're going to pay state and federal income taxes approximately. Then you will get 100000 and now you could give that to your daughter. So it will hurt you by one fifty. It will help her by one hundred. And she said, wow, I didn't know that. I said, yeah. So the job of this money is to give you a lifetime income stream, pieces, parts. Here's a little, here's a lot. Here's chunks, here's a little bit. So the job of the money is different. It's to give you those little pieces and parts for the rest of your life. Not designed like a savings account that says 10000 here, 20000 there, nothing here, giving me, right? It's different. Now, you can increase that over time. Hi, you were giving me $4,000 a month. Now I want $4,500. We can do that. Keep you below the next tax bracket. Fantastic. We, we talk with your CPA or your tax advisor. Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Tax Advisor, what do we do? How do we do it? Well, how much do you want? How much more can he take out and not affect the next tax bracket, for example? Right? You have a financial advisor that says, hey, here's the kind of risk on this side of the equation. Great, Arif, here's the safety on this side. You could have a whole team of us work together. What I don't want you to do is to think that it is designed to take out a big chunk from any retirement account. 401k, IRA, 457, anything where you have deferred the taxes. The job of that money, why you got all the goodies, why you gave me all the deferral, all the interest I didn't pay tax on. I let it grow, grow, grow. You matched it. You put money in. I put money in. All of those things were for one reason. When you retire, you take it out in pieces and parts. That's it. It isn't an additional savings account. Like you could say, hi, send me 500 grand. I want to buy a new house. No. Now, I know that's hard for you to hear, a lot of folks. But let me clarify a couple of things. I think this is good news for you. If you work for a company and you are 55 years old, not 59 and a half, 55, and you have a 401k plan, which is a retirement plan where you might put money in and the company puts money in, and you do not roll it over, in other words, you leave it there, you are allowed to pull money out of that 401k plan and not pay a penalty, just taxes, but you can start getting an income stream, in other words, retire early at age 55. Now, maybe we took the other account. If that was your case, it isn't this person's case, but I I do want you to know that little rule exists. But let's say they had 900,000 over here and 500,000 in the 401k. You could start receiving a monthly income stream from the 401k, let the 900 percolate, right? Let's say for the next 10 years from age 55 to 65. And then it becomes another eight or $9,000 a month. Right, so what we did is we're living on the forty or fifty thousand a year, 
that you take out from the 401k for the next decade. Maybe start Social Security at 62 or 65 or whatever. I mean, you're going to meet with financial professionals and figure that out. You put it all together. And now you have a laddering approach. 401k, I retired at at, uh, 55 years old. Look, as long as you're not going to spend more money than you make, I don't care what time you retire. We had actors in, in Hollywood that had a retirement account in their 30s. 38, if I remember right. And he was collecting retirement money from it. No penalty, no fee. We had to stretch it out, but you can do that. Okay, so how do we do it where you wanted to buy an RV? Very simple. Right now, at this moment, interest rates are really high. I get it. But your penalty to take money out of the IRS you know, could be much higher. So maybe you just put down a little bit from your savings account, right? Maybe you just decide, hey, I'm going to put a little bit of money aside each month from my paycheck. I'm going to turn it on. Give me a monthly check. Maybe it's $1,000 a month. Comes in the front door, goes out the back door. But we preserve the principle. Interest rates will come down in the next 15 years, most likely, because you're probably going to have to do a 15, maybe a 20-year loan on, a, on an RV. Maybe you put half down, depending on what you have. And now, we're using a, a source of income to pay it off. It's allowing it to grow, to earn interest, to reduce your taxes by not taking out big chunks. Right? That's one solution. Another is to say, listen, I just want a big old check. We say, all right. Let's talk with CPA man or woman. Tell me what you have as a, as a number. How much can they afford to withdraw? And then that's what we do. You know what the penalties are going to be. You know what the fees are going to be. You know what the taxes, whatever the case might be. And you do that. So here's what I want you to look at when it comes to Social Security. Your wife is going to start Social Security. She's 61 No, sorry, you're 61. She is 60. I'd like you to wait and start your Social Security as late as possible. Maybe 70 if you could. We'll start hers at 62. Yes, it's reduced. I understand. So in a couple of years. Maybe 64. We'll see. But here's the part. How are you going to live between now and then? Simple. We separate out your pension and your 401k and we increase the payment. We take 490000 We say we need $7,500 a month. We just do a math problem, divide it back into it. We say, okay, well, we can collect for the next three or four years until she starts her social security check. We pull that money out of your retirement account. Meanwhile, the rest of it is growing and we start her pen- her social security So we reduce what you take out. It's still going down backwards. Yep. And 70. We turn on your social security. And then we start the other account. And here's what we do. We basically will self-fund your long-term care. So I can parse out some of this money that it becomes part of your own long-term care. We can do that without a health requirement without a medical exam. I want you to have 
the ability to have many sources of income in retirement, but more importantly, you do it the right way. Right? You do it with a CPA involved. You do it with a maybe a tax attorney involved, depending on your situation. You do it where all of us are either on a Zoom call or in the same room or a Teams meeting, whatever it might be. And everybody puts on, on ideas, right? I, I go forward, you go backwards. And I want you to know that. With us, there's never a cost to meet with us. There's never a cost for me to meet with your CPA. If you're a client of ours, we'll go with you to that meeting and present our, our financial uh, issues, concerns, products. We'll say, here's the solution we've come up with on our end. Poke holes in it. Tell me what you got. And they'll say, well, I like this. I don't like this. And we say, okay, client, here are two options. What, what works better for you? You see, that's what you need is kind of this collaborative approach. Sometimes clients will have people uh, that are they're financial professionals, but they live out of town, right? Or That's fine. That's when we do our conference calls. See what I'm saying? You have a lot of great pieces and parts, guys. We can move those around. Take a look at what does it cost to wait a little bit for Social Security or to start a little earlier. I like both of those strategies. Stay with me after the break. Another email. This is quite interesting, guys, because I think many of you are going to be in the same situation. Many these days. And I'll cover that when we return. I'm Eric Hallaby on the Total Financial Hour. This is AM870, The Answer, 888-997-3847. retire We'll be right back. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total Hi, welcome back to the show, Arab Halabi. Thanks for being with me. Triple eight ninety nine retire eight 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 nine nine seven. Three eight four seven triple eight ninety nine retire. Look, a lot of us here uh, can figure this out. I, I mean, I think you need to understand the financial life. It's not that difficult. I guess it is, depending on your situation. But really, it's math. So people will ask, "What does it take to be successful? Should I take calculus in high school or college, or quantum physics, or uh, AP physics, and on and on?" Well, first of all, if you want to be in the science world, right now they call it STEM then fantastic. You have to do whatever the requirements are, whether it's certain calculus or pre-calculus classes, etc. But if you want to be wealthy, financially speaking, in a very simple world, which is what we all live in, right? Because it's just math. This is all you need. And, and look, it's going to give hope to those of you that are GED uh, completers as well, right? High school uh, dropouts, high school diploma, GED. Really, here's all that it takes. You have to know addition, subtraction, math, uh, multiplication, and division, fractions, decimals, and percentages. All right, I'm going to say that again. Addition and subtraction. You have to know how to handle multiplication, division, fractions, decimals, and percentages. 
If you understand those things, there's nothing to stop you from becoming a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. Nothing that will stop you from becoming a great business owner, a successful entrepreneur. Now, if you say, oh, yeah, if I want to build a bridge from here to there, okay, you're going to need certain physics and, and geometry. I get it. But most of you aren't going to build bridges. Most of you aren't going to design the next space capsule. What are you going to do? You're just trying to manage your, your, your accounts. And so one of the things I want to touch on before I get to the next letter, some of you are paying fees in accounts and you don't want them. You don't need them and you don't want them. Here's what I mean. This week I met with the client. Her growth in her account was great. Well, I guess. She made $23,000. She had the account for six years. 100000 became 123000 Now I'm going to let you do the math on that with my sarcasm of it doing great and realize that, okay, I'm glad she's up 23000 Right? That's not bad. Better to be up in the front end moving forward. But here's the problem. The fees were 36000 So in the same period of time, the fees are $36,000, which means Wall Street, her broker, whoever it is, somebody, doesn't matter. It's not her. I don't, I don't know what percentage her broker receives or, or the manager or the president. Or, it doesn't matter to me. She paid out over $30,000 in fees and made just over twenty. Now, who checked that account every day or nearly every day? Her. Who was worried about the money every day? Her. Who worked for the money? Her. Do you see what I'm saying? You're just part of a big old group of, of dollars. Your broker's job is to keep your money, not make you money. They want to make you money. Most of them are good people. But they're not, their job isn't to make you money. It's to keep you money. Why? Because that's how they're paid. Right? You're paid for a job. If the job was, hey, how much money did you make me this month? Oh, you made me $1,000? I'll give you 600 400 300 200 Right? If you make me $2,000 this month, I'll give you $500 and let's do it again next month. Great idea. Come on, do it again. All of you would play that game. You all would do that. But when they lose your money, or like most people last year lost 19, 20% in the S&P 500, and then you paid a fee and you lost money, let's say another 1% or 2%, 3%, you ever ask yourself, who worked for this money? Whose is it anyway? Right? This is your money. It's not your broker's, <clears throat> even though they think it is. And you say, oh, no, Eric, it's mine. Oh, I have a business. I love it. I have a business relationship, and he listens to me. I go, great. Tell him you want to move it. See how, how often he invites you to the next family event that they call it. The next client event. The next, see if he invites you to lunch. See if, he, if he's nice to you. See how easy he's going to make it to move the money. Because you said it's yours. You should be able to do whatever you want with it. Why is it they're going to make you jump through all these hoops? So I, I care about this because many of you have accounts, you have fees and risk, and you don't want them. Great. We're here to help. 
right? Because you'll have a different lifestyle. You have different scenarios. Everybody has a different family scenario. Well, my job is to sit down and see what kind of portion, some or part of that money can be moved into safety. How do we keep it out of the risk of the market? How do we get reasonable rates of return? Sometimes zero, sometimes 10. Every once in a while, we'll get a 15. Wow, 18, nice. But I don't want you to think anything of this account being that I'm going to handle, that you're going to be getting home runs, right? Double it by the weekend, triple it in two years. That's not what we do. My job is to keep you from being broke. You have earned your money, your job, your career, your, your good decisions, your lucky decisions, your inheritance, whatever it is, somebody else's decisions, created a, a bucket of money, some wealth for you. My job is to keep that from going backwards, to grow it in a proper way, to manage great income solutions for you so that you can turn that bucket of money into something that's useful for you. So that's what we do. It's slightly different, I guess, maybe a lot different, right? Then, then your basic everyday stockbroker person, their job is to buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell. High tension, high stress, risky, crazy. That's not what we do. None of that stuff matters to me. Our job is the slow train to China, right? Slow boat to China, rather. It's chuck, chuck, chuck. Okay. Here is another email that I think a lot of you are going to find. Maybe it rings true. I don't know. I'm, I'm seeing more of this, so maybe. Dear Arif, I am 59 and my husband is 63. We married later in life. It's the first marriage for both of us. And we chose not to have children. We love our dogs and we spend a lot of time with our nieces and our nephews, especially now that they are adults and can travel with us. We have two rental properties plus the one that we currently live in. Both were houses we each owned over the years individually, but never sold when we were married. My concern is to know is to learn how to, uh, to leave the houses to our respective families. Is that possible? We also have about $3 million between us, but I really think we should leave that in equal shares to all seven of our nieces and, nep and nephews. I have heard you say not to have any one of the children as a successor trustee. Who do you suggest then? Can I also have my grandkids cared for in the trust? Lastly, we would like to make sure an income stream is guaranteed for the survivor between the two of us because we know that we're going to lose one of the social securities when one of us passes first. Okay. Jack and Elaine, let's see what we can do. A couple of things. I think part of it is you and I have to understand as a relationship here my job is a certified estate planner, but realistically, even though we might be able to be uh, well-informed and other things, I always want an estate planning attorney involved, right? I don't mind sitting in. He and I, or she and I work together well. I do this often. It's my favorite thing to do. One of my favorite things to do is to find solutions to this kind of stuff. And they have great plans. So I'm going to touch on this, but I want you to know that an estate planning attorney will have the last word. Okay, but I want you to think concepts and ideas here today. All right, number one, Elaine. Think of it like this. You guys have 
his, hers, and ours, basically. Right? So what is his, hers, and ours? Let's start with the houses that you guys have separately. And it can be property. Some of you have gold coins. You might have other things that are yours, and some are his, and some are ours. Okay, I get it. But in this case, we're talking the houses. First of all, I want you to keep the houses as rental properties if you can manage it and if that works well to you. Right? If you can. Here's why. Because if you can, I want you to be able to pass those to your nieces and nephews tax-free. Right? Do you know that? I want you to think about this. When they receive these funds, it's tax-free. You might have purchased it for $210,000 and it's worth a million when you die. Great. They get it all tax-free. Did you know that? Why do you think rich people leave life insurance and real estate tax-free? For some of you that don't have two and three and four rental properties, you know what you do? It's very simple. You can get a life insurance policy and leave that to your children tax-free. We do that. We really make sure that we try to get that layered up so I don't have to worry about it. We really make sure that we're not kind of creating a, a problem for you and your family so that you, you leave them a tax problem. So real estate, next. So, so real simple. In your trust, you're just going to say, my house located at 1234 Park Avenue goes to Jim and Mary and Susie. They have six months to sell the house and divide the cash. If any one of them wants to buy out the other ones, it's going, you get three appraisals. You take the average of them of those, or you can get two appraisals, whatever. Take the average. That's the purchase price. So the one of the nieces or nephews on my side that want to buy my house, they just divide it up and that person gets, uh, owns the property and pays for everybody else. If two or more want to have the property, then it shall be sold, period. If we can't negotiate where I want the property, no, I want the property. You know what? Boom. Requires it both to be sold to the open market, best bid, best price. And then the property, the, the dollars, what's left, tax-free, divided amongst the folks that, that are the beneficiaries. And you can do that for each side, Jack and Elaine, both of your sides. Okay. Now, here's the other part. Right now, you have about $3 million. Maybe you're going to have more, but we have great accounts that have a long-term care type doubling feature, meaning you're going to have, let's say your income is 5000 a month. That's what we create. 10 years go by, you're in your 70s or 80s and you need long-term care. Whatever that dollar figure is, if it's still 5000 it's probably going to be higher. Let's say seven. 7000 now becomes $14,000 a month. So there's a doubling effect that can occur. If you have a life insurance policy and you have the hybrid type, which means it has a long-term care or some sort of type of benefit that needs you to have assistance, right? Activities of daily living, feeding yourself, walking, going to the restroom, uh, transferring, showering, etc. There's six of those. When you cannot perform six, there is an there is access to your life insurance face amount, the big number that you can live. It's not technically long-term care insurance because there are rules associated with that, but it's exactly the same in the sense that it mirrors it. Okay, so maybe you have to wait 90 days before you can turn it on, but the point is you're paying a little dollar to get the big one. 
If, if you don't qualify for the life insurance, no problem. Then we use the $3 million and we can kind of build a plan around that. So I'm not worried about you losing money if the market goes backwards. Like, oops, we had a bad, bad experience. Doesn't matter. I don't have to worry about it, right? I don't have to worry about you guys sitting down and coming to me when you're 78 years old or 92 years old and saying, Eric, we're out of money. That doesn't exist with us. But more likely, you're going to come to me and say, hey, Arif, we made 2.5%. I'm going to say, yep, we sure did. Hey, Arif, we made zero. Yep, we sure did. It means that you would have lost money or maybe you could have made more money, but you would have had to pay fees and risk. So yes, sometimes the answer is going to be, we just didn't make a home run, but we never go backwards, right? My job is to, to not make you rich. It's to keep you from being broke. See the difference? So it's got a different purpose, a different job. Okay, let's see another question that, that you had inside of that. Oh, the successor trustee. I wanted to touch on this. The So after both of you, I would expect you to care for your estate if he passes and for him to care for the estate if you pass. But what if both of you pass and you now have seven nieces and nephews between the two of you and maybe even some grandchildren? You, you ask about that as well, by the way. You can parse out, which is what I would do, parse out some of those funds and say, this is, I'm going to just make up a number. This is $250,000. It's to be set aside in an interest-bearing account. And any of the grandchildren that want to go to college, maybe it's undergrad, we will give them up to, you pick the number, $5,000 a year. Pay to them directly. I never want you to pay scholarship money to the college directly. Right? Because if you do, the college reduces the portion they pay, not the portion the student pays. So you never give money to the college directly. Grandparents... We did it. We've done it before. I did it once or twice and made that mistake. So don't do that. Give it to the student directly. Now, we give it after the semester started. The student has to prove that they went to college. You can create a committee. Seven nieces and nephews. All of you sit on the board. You sit down together. And you create a voting system. Maybe it's a blind voting system. Is this person worth the $5,000 we're going to help them with every year. In other words, are they is their character as pure as it can get? Are they staying out of trouble? Are they respectful? Are they volunteering? Are they giving back to the family? So you guys can create your own internal scholarship fund. It's worth it. Give it a shot. That's one. But you did mention the successor trustee. Who is the one that's going to make those decisions? Who's the one? Well, I don't like it if it's, unless you have one beneficiary, you know, two husband, wife, one child, fine. Let that child be your successor trustee because he or she is the beneficiary and the person making the decision. They can't be upset with anybody but themselves. Let them do that. But if you have seven beneficiaries and one of them, even if it's the oldest one or somebody's, her husband is an attorney or my niece is a, is a, MBA from Harvard. I don't care if you do that and there's any discrepancy or, or anybody that's unhappy or, or, or some ambiguity with your trust, 
then the other five or six are going to hate that person. The other beneficiaries are going to say, she was bad, or she's doing this to only benefit herself. Now, if the trust is relatively small, then maybe you just distribute the funds across the board. Everybody gets one seventh, it's over. But if it's large enough, I want you to have a successor trustee that is a professional, maybe an attorney or a bank, one of the larger banks. They may have a minimum of $5 million or $10 million estate that they have to manage because they're going to charge a fee. So they'll take a piece of it. But it's much better if you like your nieces and nephews. <laughs> maybe some of you don't really care. But it's much better than having them hate each other at the end of the story because that's what will happen. We don't talk to that side. Of, how many of you do this? We don't talk to that side of the family. Why? I don't know. Or, or the, you know, the, the Smith side of the family, those guys are crooks. Why would happen? Well, I'm, I'm not really sure. You'll hear a story forthhand. They went into the house. They stole all the furniture. I've heard that. Oh, my brother was a jerk. He went in and stole all the gold coins, stole the antiques. Mom had some china from Europe. My sister came in, took all that stuff. You guys know that. And some of you are those people. Shame on you, by the way. It's not too late. You're still on this side of dirt. It's not too late to make it right, to apologize, to pay it back, to give back whatever half or portion. Right? Some of you made those mistakes. You listened to the wrong pe people. You were greedy. It's okay to say you were greedy. You made a mistake. Fix it. I hear it from you guys all the time. Everybody's got a story. Please don't make that mistake. Because whether it's China or guns or gold coins or dollars, don't take from the other person. Right? All right. So seven nieces and nephews. Last thing I want to bring up is to consider about having, if you're going to di uh, distribute the funds over time, okay, I want you to consider having some rules inside of your trust that talk about divorces, lawsuits, insolvency, or bankruptcy. Meaning, if I'm the successor trustee, and I cannot be, oh, so I won't, but let's just play pretend for a minute that I was. If I am your successor trustee, I might require, require a credit report from each one of your nieces and nephews and their spouses. Show to me that you have to have a minimum credit score of, I don't know, let's just say 700. You have to not be in default. Whatever bills you have, you have to be paying them on time. And if you do, you get your portion of the estate. So why would I do that? Because if somebody has a habit, which is all a credit report tells us, mostly, is your habit. Credit report tells me what your patterns of behavior when it comes to money that isn't yours. Write a credit card that's not your money. You're borrowing it. Your car loan is not your money. You're borrowing it until it's paid. So how well do you handle money that isn't yours? You've been entrusted with it. A home loan, home equity. Do you follow me on that? That's the purpose. So you're going to say, listen, I want to control this from the grave. I, I in, in the sense that I don't want to give... You have a pattern of behavior that's really bad. I don't want to give you more fuel to the fire. You stink at managing money. I love you, but you stink at managing money. 
So I'm not going to give you money just for existing for because you won the, the birthright lotto and, and became part of my family because that's crazy. Why would I want to hurt you? You know, an interesting statistic, I know what it, it is, or pretty darn close. Habitat for Humanity, great organization when it fixes up a house that you own. But when we built a house, because I sat on, on the advisory board for a while, when we built a house and then we handed you the keys and you've been renting your entire life and your parents or grandparents rented and there's no understanding, there's no requirement to attend a financial class that leads down the road of understanding what home ownership is as opposed to renting, how quickly do they have the keys to that house? Everybody cries, the pictures, the six o'clock news. How many years does it take for them to either refinance it and say, take all the money out or refinance it, take the money out and lose the house and go back to renting? But they got an amazing car. Oh, have you seen the rims on that car? Beautiful. And that is a handbag, a Louis Vuitton. Oh my gosh, a beautiful handbag. And they're back to renting. So many of you think it's a good idea to give houses to people that are homeless. No, 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 it isn't. It isn't. Right? A, a guy starving across the desert, hasn't eaten for four weeks. Give him a filet mignon, a steak meal, he'll die. Right? That's what happened with the Holocaust and and Auschwitz, they, they went in and some of the well-meaning servicemen and women tried to feed these folks a, a, a full meal and their bodies couldn't handle it. They weren't trained. They didn't work up to that point. Well, that's the same thing with financial and credit scenarios. If somebody has mismanaged their life, financially speaking, for a long time, their habits, what they call normal, is to mismanage money. Why do you think giving this, this government bailout coronavirus bailout to people ended what? With them blowing the money. None of them saved it. None of them paid off bad debt. They went out and got into deeper debt. They spent even more money than they didn't have. That's what most people did that mismanaged their money. They didn't spend it wisely. They didn't save it and put it in the bank and say this is for a rainy day. They blew it. And in most cases, on debt. You can control that from the grave with the proper estate plan, with the proper estate planning attorney. Lay out the plan of what you want and let him or her decide. Those are some ideas as a certified estate planner. That's me. I'm Eric Hallaby, your place for news, talk, and information. I love it that I get to sit with you every week at this time, and thank you for joining me. We'll see you next week on the Total Financial Hour. This is AM870, The Answer. Makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.